0: Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. I'm glad that God watches over you and me. I'm glad he watches over the sparrows. I wish he'd kill all the grackles. (laughs) I guess he watches over them too, doesn't he? If you have your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 2. Two weeks ago, we talked about going from a mess to a masterpiece. You were lost in sin and Jesus saved you. He's making something out of you, has already made something out of you. You have been saved by grace in verse 8 and 9, and we are his workmanship. In verse 11, he says, Therefore, after all he said, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I want to tell you, verse 12 pretty much describes people without Jesus right there. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Now notice that phrase, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, "'Thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God "'in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. "'And he came and preached peace to you who were far off "'and to those who were near, for through him we both have access "'by one spirit to the Father. "'Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners.' to help us remember that we used to be far off and you brought us close to you, that you have made us one. Help us also to remember that you have brought a oneness with all believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dr. Eugene Bryce tells a a sad story. I don't know if it's true or not. I think it is actually. But anyway, he, he said he had returned to, a, to visit a church that he had once pastored, and he ran into Bill, who had been an elder and a leader in the church, but who wasn't around anymore. And the pastor asked, Bill, what happened? You used to be there every time the doors were opened. Well, pastor said, Bill, a, a difference of opinion arose in the church. Can you imagine that? <clears throat> A difference of opinion arose in the church, and some of us could not accept the final decision, and we established a church of our own. Is that where you worship now? Asked the pastor. Bill said, no. We found that there, too, the people were not faithful, and a small group of us began meeting in a rented hall at night. Has that proven to be satisfactory, he asked. No, I can't say that it has. Bill responded, Satan was active even in that fellowship. So my wife and I withdrew and began to worship on Sunday at home by ourselves. Well, did that bring peace to you? No, I'm afraid not. Even my wife began to develop ideas I was not comfortable with So now she worships in the northeast corner of the living room, and I'm in the southwest corner of the living room. (laughs) You know, it's part of sinful human nature to build barriers that shut out other people. And we see a lot of division today, but it's nothing new. It's been going on since the beginning of time and sin in the New Testament, one of the greatest barriers between believers was those that were free and those that were slaves. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so there were a lot of slaves coming to Christ, but there were also people who owned slaves coming to Jesus. And so there was friction there. There was friction between the Jews and the Gentiles. There were friction between men and women Women were looked down on. They really were. They were just nothing really short of property in the eyes of a lot of people at that time. Christianity's done more to elevate women than any other group on earth. I mean, you can still look overseas, or, or not just overseas, but you can look at other religions and see how women are still suppressed and put down, but that was a problem, The Greeks were proud of their culture. The Greeks looked down on anyone that wasn't a Greek. They they supposed that just because you were not a Greek, you were a barbarian. You had no culture. And so disunity was everywhere. And then you have these people coming to Christ, and they've still got these backgrounds, and there's probably still some friction. And Paul begins to address that. He said, you've all been saved by faith. Even even Jesus, in his intercessory prayer that's recorded in John 17, let me read three verses. Verse 11, this is Jesus praying now. He's saying in verse 11, now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them through your name, whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And then down in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. We believed through Jesus through the words of all those that have passed it on down to us. And Jesus goes on to say that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Three times in that short prayer, you find Jesus praying for believers to be one because disunity among God's people has to be one of his greatest heartaches. Also in verse 23 in John 17, it says that they may be perfected in unity. When your body does not function like it's supposed to as a, as a unit, as a whole, it creates problems. Well, when the body of Christ has pl- this unity, it, the Holy Spirit can't flow through it like, it's, like he's supposed to. Every person who trusts Christ Every person who trusts Christ is united with every other believer that trusts Christ. You may not like some of the other believers. You may have a different culture than some of the other believers. You may come from a different background than some of the other believers. But in Jesus, there are no walls. There are no classes. There are no castes. There are no races. There are no genders. There's no distinction of any sort. The passage focuses on spiritual oneness and who we are in Christ and where we came from. Doesn't mean we all think the same way. I still like different color than you do. I still don't like liver and you do. You can have all mine. But the oneness that we have is through Jesus Christ. I've read this phrase to you before, to dwell above with the saints we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with the saints we know, (laughs) well, that's another story. (laughs) Isn't that true? Well, let's look at this. First of all, The apparent alienation without Christ, verse 11. Remember, you once were alienated, he says. He mentions two different kinds of alienation. He said you were alienated. He's talking to Gentiles. He's talking to the Ephesians. And a lot of them, well, most of them had been pagans. Ephesus was a pagan uh, center. I mean, there were all kinds of paganism pagan temples and and stuff going on. And so a lot of these people, he said, now you need to remember that you once were alienated two ways. You were socially alienated. The Jews looked at the Gentiles as an outcast. If you weren't born a Jew, they didn't like you. And that's that's a generalized statement, but they tried to emphasize if you're going to follow God, you have to be like us and be circumcised. It was an outward sign. They, they, they said, you're going to have to do that. And the disunity within the Ephesian church was primarily be, between the Jew, Jewish and Gentile believers. Most Jews did not want to share their gracious, loving God with anybody. And they accepted their divine blessings, but not their divine mission. God never intended for salvation to be to the Jews only. He said, You're going to be my missionaries. You're going to be the ones that take it to the rest of the world. But they began to say, No, we don't want to share that. And so they had contempt for the Gentiles and was often had a justification from a human standpoint because throughout history they suffered a lot of oppression and persecution from the Gentiles. And so they said, we don't have to like them because they have been so uh, oppressive to us. And instead of reflecting the gracious love and forgiveness of God who called them, they vented their own resentment and hatred back to the persecutors. Jonah is a good example. Jonah, God told to go to Nineveh and preach to The Ninevites. Jonah didn't want to go, so he wound up fishing. He was the bait. (laughs) He caught a big one. (laughs) Spit him out on the land. Jonah went to the Ninevites and preached, and thousands of them responded to God. Now, I want to tell you, If I'd been preaching and thousands of people responded to God, I'd be so happy. You can't imagine. And Jonah was mad about it. You remember? He went off and shocked about it. I told you if I went and preached to the Ninevites, they would come to you. And I didn't want them to come to you. They don't deserve to come to you. That's sort of a loose paraphrase, but that's basically what he was saying to God. The Jews, like Jonah, wanted Gentiles to be judged. They didn't want to be forgiven. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And so some Jews believe God, that God created the Gentiles. Some Jews actually believe that God created the Gentiles to be fuel for hell. That's what's going to keep the fires burning. Many believe that he loved Israel, hated every other nation, and consequently some Jewish women refused to help a non-Jewish woman give birth because to do so would make them responsible for bringing a despised Gentile into the world. And when a Jew entered Palestine, he would often shake the dust off his sandals and clothing in order not to contaminate the Holy Land with Gentile dust. Sounds like prejudice, doesn't it? They'd go around Samaria. If a young Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, their families would have a funeral, symbolizing the death of their child as far as religion, race, and family were concerned. If, if the Jew married a Gentile, the Jews had a funeral. No longer did their child exist. And for fear of contamination, many Jews would not enter a Gentile home or allow a Gentile to enter their home. And so now that very first word in verse 11, therefore, it goes back to all that's been said. He said, you once were lost, you were dead, and now you've been saved. You've been made alive in Jesus by grace No one deserves grace. It's given. And so, therefore, refers back to verses 1 through 10, reminding them of what Christ had done for them and the eternal blessing. And nothing more inspires gratitude in a saved sinner than to look back from the pit from which they've come. Do do you ever thought about where you would be if you didn't know Jesus? I mean, look where he brought us from. I mean, look how mean we are now and we're saved. Really? Can you imagine not being saved? Well, Paul emphasizes that circumcision had never been a mark of a personal relationship with God for Jews or anyone else. Groups should not be segregated by purely physical distinctions. I know there are cultural differences. We have a tendency to to gather with people like us But in God's kingdom, there are no distinctions for believers, for Christians. Do we have different responsibilities? Yes. I think men have different responsibilities than women. I do. I think they're equal in the sight of God. I think the responsibilities given them are different. I do. Can women do what men do? Yeah, probably better. That's a whole other lesson. (laughs) actually heard that. <laughs> Another kind of alienation was spiritual alienation. A much more important Gentile alienation was spiritual. Although there were, was no moral difference or, or difference between Jews and Gentiles as far as people go, there was a difference in God's dealing with them. When Christ came, the Jews were and still are his chosen people. But he intended for them to tell the world. But now think about it. When he talks about in verse 12, he's saying, Gentiles, you were without Christ. The ultimate judgment was for people. I mean, holy God brings judgment for people within their sin. They're going to die with no hope. But we were separated from Christ. Christ came to the world. He came as a Jew to the Jewish people. Gentiles were outside that. We were also excluded from Christ. God made his chosen people into a theocracy, a nation of whom he himself was a kind and 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 he was the leader. He was the Lord. He gave the nation his special blessing, his special protection, and his love. He gave them covenants, the law, his priesthood, his sacrifices, gave him his promises and his guidance. Had the Gentiles accepted the true God, they too could have been a part of that blessed nation. But because they rejected God, they forfeited the national blessing that God intended. But they had no God-blessed community like the Jewish people did. They also were strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenants were made with Israel. Gentiles were outside that. They they had no hope. True hope is based only on the promises of God. True hope is not based on what we do. It's based on the promises of God. And the Gentiles had no promises given to them. They were given to Israel. They also were without God in the world. The problem was not that they had no gods. They had a lot of little G pagan idol gods, but they did not have the true God. And and Paul, he's writing to them. He's saying God's purpose in calling the Jews as his people was to send them as missionaries to the Gentiles. The Jews were given all of this and the responsibility to take it to the Gentiles. He said, as a Gentile, you were without all of that. But apart from Christ, there is no hope. But now he's saying that now there's a unity and a oneness because of Jesus. So let me impress you with my vocabulary. Notice the amazing amalgamation through the cross. You don't even know what amalgamation means, do you? Fusion, bringing together, Connection. Verse 13, he says, but now, but now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want you to notice several things about this fusion or this bringing together. First of all, the barriers have been removed. Verse 14 says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one, both one, Gentiles and Jews, both one, having broken down the middle wall of separation. That term far off in verse 13 was a common Jewish term used to describe Gentiles who were far off from the true God. They're not even where close. And Jews, on the other hand, considered themselves and their converts to be brought near to God by the blood of Christ. But God broke down the barriers. Now think of all the barriers that were broken down when Jesus died on the cross. And of course, we know he was resurrected also. The barrier in the temple. There were The court of the Gentiles was separated from the temple by a wall. Or a barrier. And on this barrier was an inscription. Here was the inscription. Let no one of another nation come within the fence and barrier around the holy place. Whoever will be taken doing so will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensue. In other words, you come around that wall or over that wall, you're going to be killed. That's the way they looked at the Gentiles. Gentiles. The barrier in the temple forming a dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was also the barrier of the law. You see, another dividing was between Jews and Gentiles, the law of requirements. The moral emphasis of the law was de-emphasized. God gave the law to show us our sin, but they de-emphasized that and put the ceremonial emphasis on it, keeping the rules and regulations, and then they began to add to it. And so instead of taking the law to show them how separated they were from God, they looked at it as something that you can now do to get to God. And if you Gentiles don't do this, you've got no chance. And so there was the barrier of the law. A lot of that's still around today. God did not do away with the moral law because it reflects his nature, but the ceremonial laws that were once given are no longer in effect. We don't have a Holy of Holies. High priest does not go into the Holy of Holies to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. Because the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies, which probably was about three feet thick, was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died, signifying God removed that barrier. And our high priest is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. So we come through Jesus, not any local priest, all those barriers were removed. All of that stuff, all those ceremonial laws were removed. There seems to be a lot of emphasis today to go back to a lot of those laws. All you got to do is read the book of Galatians, and you're going to see how legalism just does not mix with grace. I'm not talking about moral laws. Sin is still Sin. But if I eat a piece of bacon, I have not sinned. (laughs) Well, you see the barriers removed. But now notice the benefits that you have received. Verse 15. having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Now the word new there is new of a different kind. There's two words for new. You can get a new something you already have at home. It's got a button different on it and it's new to you. But new of a different kind means a total different item. And so when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't just warm us up and say, you're now forgiven to be the same person. He makes you new. He's abolished sin in your life, even though we still have have habits that we struggle with and sin. But but he's made us new. No longer do we have all of these social barriers and all of these legalistic barriers, if there's one thing we can agree on, it's we've been saved through grace in Jesus Christ. If you were, let's just say you, you, there were some people, y'all were out on the, I don't know how you got out there, but you're out there. You're out there in the ocean, floating or swimming, struggling. And there are people over there that you just grew up hating. And there's people over here you disagree with and people over here. But when you get to that boat, you're all in the court, aren't you? You're, you're, you're just thankful to be together. You don't care. I, I know I don't like you, but you're in the boat. That's a poor analogy. But if you think about Jesus, we've all come from different backgrounds different ethnic backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, different moral backgrounds, all kinds of homes, different kinds of homes and all. But one thing that we can be bound together is that what has brought us together as one is Jesus. He's the only way to be saved. And so every other believer, if they follow Jesus by faith, you're tied to them. And guess what? You're going to spend eternity with them. So you better start liking them. I'm not so sure the Lord, for the first ten thousand years, is not going to put us in a room with somebody we don't like till we come out of there liking each other. <laughs> you, he reconciled. Verse fifteen, he says, verse sixteen, that he might reconcile them both to God. Reconcile holds the idea of turning from hostility to friendship. He reconciles those who were far away, Gentiles, to those who were near. That's the Jews. And he says, We have access to God. He came and preached, and you, verse 18, that you have access by one spirit to the Father. The word access is used three times in the New Testament. In ancient times, it was a related word to describe a court official who introduced people to the king, give you access to them. They gave access to the monarch. The term itself carries the idea of not possessing access in our own right, but of being granted access. Through Jesus, all of us have access to the Father through Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us. I don't have any more access to God than you do. There's no red phone in my office to God. You have access to him. He's made us all have access. We're all equal. When he comes to access to the Father. The only access into God's presence is through Jesus Christ. And we come in boldly through him. So everyone who's come to Jesus has the same benefits. Y'all believe that? Well, let me give you a third point. The amplified Affiliation in the church. Look at verse 19. Now, therefore, okay, what he's just said, all that Christ has done. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. What does he mean? You're no longer aliens. You're no longer not belonging. Now you are fellow citizens. You're equal in all ways. Members of God's household. You're more intimate now than a nation. All of us in here, I think, for the most part, are Americans. We're all together Americans, but more intimately than that, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the point he's making. You have a family, you're part of a family. There are no second class citizens in God's family. Man, it's hard for us to remember, isn't it? Because we, we sort of size up people by the way they look or what they have or don't have, and we just immediately make judgments about people by, based on what they look. You can't do that anymore. People look all kinds of ways. And it's hard for us, who are different than they are, not to size them up based on what they've put on or whatever so this affiliation he says two things going to happen you're going to be growing in harmony no longer are you separated a teenager an ingenious teenager got tired of reading bedtime stories to his little sister So he thought, you know what? I'm going to record several of her favorite books or stories on tape. And he told her after he'd done it, now you can hear your stories anytime you want to. Isn't that great? She looked up at him for a moment and said, no, it doesn't have a lap. You know, we all need a lap sometime, don't we? We need a close relationship. We need from Sunday, I heard. <laughs> we, know, we need to know that we are loved. And we're told time and time again that you have to guard the unity. In the Scripture, more than once we're told to guard the unity. Why is it so important? Because we can get riled up over the dumbest things. Can't we? Just sit in somebody's chair. (laughs) You'll find out. I read about a church in Kansas. True story. It seems that in this church, the piano was on the eastern side of the sanctuary. The east side. And for some unknown reason, a group of church members were convinced that if the piano would be more strategically placed, if it were on the western side of the sanctuary, people could hear it better. After several months of debate within the church, the western party decided to take matter into their own hands. So late one Saturday night, several of them entered the church and moved the piano. The next morning... Those who wanted the piano on the eastern side were understandably upset, but could not do anything without making a scene. The next week, several members showed up early Saturday evening to move the piano back to the east side. Each week after that, the piano was moved several times on Sunday and early Sunday morning. Several times on Saturday (laughs) and early on Sunday morning. Eventually, the stress of wondering who was going to move it and when became too and when became too great and the church split and even to this day the members of the east and west sides refuse to speak to each other another story the church in the southern United States no longer exists because of an incident that took place in the church kitchen one Sunday afternoon A new family had arrived to take part in their first potluck luncheon. Now, we've gotten so large here, we don't know what potluck is unless you go to game night or something like that. Well, a new family had arrived to take part in their first potluck luncheon. And the aroma of tuna casseroles, baked beans, and tater tot dishes wafted through the building. The unsuspecting wife cheerfully brought her red gelatin salad to the kitchen, then headed back to the fellowship hall to join her family. The moment the pastor said amen, hungry parishioners politely charged for the serving line. There were dozens of dishes to sample, and then the woman's husband said, Where's our salad? She said, well, there must be some mistake. I'll find out what happened. And she reached the kitchen door in time to witness the queen of the kitchen ladling the last of her salad into the disposal. What are you doing? She shrieked. That's my salad. And without batting an eye, the woman looked up and said, you're new to this church. You'll soon learn we only use real whipped cream around here, not cool whip, and hit the switch. The garbage disposal rumbled and gurgled and sucked the salad down the drain. That one incident started a significant church battle that escalated into an all out war, and that church no longer exists. It can happen here. It can happen. Trust me, it can happen. So, we need to guard that. And remember why are you here? Why did you come in the first place? Because of Jesus. And Jesus forgave you. He didn't forgive you any less sin than anyone else. We're all sinners separated, and we've got to guard the unity. And instead of focusing on what we don't agree on, you have to come in and focus on what we do agree on. And we agree that Jesus is Lord, and we're going to honor him and lift him up. Also, we're supposed to be growing in holiness, not in harmony, but in holiness. The foundation, it says in verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The foundation of the apostles refers to the divine revelation given to them The cornerstone is Jesus Christ. The cornerstone was the major structural part of an ancient building. It had to be strong enough to support what was built on it. It had to be precisely laid. We don't do that kind of building anymore, but in those days, that cornerstone was of utmost importance. The cornerstone was the support the orienter, the unifier of the entire building. And so it had to be just right, and that's what Jesus Christ is to the church. He is the head of the church. He is the one that is to be lifted up. He is the one that draws all people to him, and we never ever forget that. Now that term fitted together.. <clears throat> You're being built together, fitted together in verse 22 refers to carefully joining every component of a piece of furniture or a wall or a building or any other structure. Every part is precisely cut to fit snugly, strongly, and beautifully with every other part. And the unity of the church does not come from our organization. It does not come from our style of worship. It doesn't come from our denominational name. It comes from Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And you might as well learn now if you haven't, not everybody else is like you. But that doesn't make it wrong. The thing that distresses me today is that if you disagree with somebody, then they start calling you names today. Not Not necessarily here, but... When we become organized around Jesus Christ, we're going to be an army for God's kingdom, and we are. I'm thankful that we don't have any major strife going on, but I don't even know of any minor strife other than somebody might be mad at the music or mad at the seat they're in or whatever. And, you know, for that matter, there's always going to be a few goats among us. (laughs) There are. There are. I'll let you decide who they are. Let me close with this illustration. I'll close with this. A business meeting was held in the toolbox. Mr. Hammer presided because he was sort of the biggest and the strongest. He called the meeting to order. Mr. Shaw stood up and said, I think we ought to get rid of Mr. Hammer because he's always knocking people and making so much noise. Mr. Plain stood up and said, if you get rid of Mr. Hammer, you've got to get rid of Mr. Saw, because Mr. Saw is always cutting people down. Mr. Ruler stood up and said, if you get rid of Mr. Saw, you have to get rid of Mr. Plain, because Mr. Plain only does surface work. He is so superficial. <laughs> Mr. Sandpaper stood up and said, well, if you get rid of Mr. Plain, you've got to get rid of Mr. Ruler, because Mr. Ruler is always measuring himself by other people, and he always thinks he's right. Someone stood up and said, well, if you get rid of Mr. Ruler, you got to get rid of Mr. Sandpaper because a rougher guy you've never met, he's always rubbing people the wrong way. (laughs) So they just continued to argue and fuss and fight about who was the most important until the carpenter of Nazareth walked in and picked up those tools and built a pulpit from which the whole gospel could be preached to the whole world. And when those tools found out what they could become in the hands of the master carpenter, they decided they would quit fussing and fighting and just surrender to the use of the master carpenter. And that's what you and I need to do. We're all different. (laughs) We are, aren't we? And God can take, you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God can take, the, the world thinks that we're the most strange people, but he can take all of us and he can use us And he gets the glory for it. So, we once were outcasts and anyone else who's outside the realm of God, when they profess their faith in Jesus, they become one with us because we're all one in Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that you've put us all together. I'm so thankful to be part of this group. And sure, sometimes we get on each other's last nerve. But Lord, help us to remember that what really matters is that you have saved us by grace, that you're the only way to heaven, and that other people can be saved also. And when they come and give their lives to Christ, help us to welcome them into the unity of fellowship of believers. Help us to put down all of our prejudices, whatever they may be. And they come in many forms. And to remember that we're part of an eternal family. And the thing that matters the most is that we are sinners that have been saved by your grace. And it's in Jesus' name who has saved us by that grace that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you thanks for listening to this installment of the southcrest wednesday night series featuring senior pastor david wilson remember you can also live stream our sunday and wednesday services go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about southcrest baptist church and thanks for listening